Evil 1-1, we have a visual on your position. We have enemy movement 300 meters to your south. Enemy troops in the open. Small arms and RPGs, you are clear to engage. Roger, Evil CP, we are TIC. I say again, we are troops in contact, requesting air support. Stand by for call for fire. Solid copy. Troops in contact. Be advised, air is red at this time. Repeat, air is a no-go. You're on your own. Dig in and give them hell. Give them hell. Give them hell. Welcome to the Dogs of War. Hosted by Stephen Houston. What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Joint Forces Canine out of Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Joint Forces Canine offers everything from mobile grooming to world-class seminars. Stay tuned for their ad. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Alpine Arms. Alpine Arms is a veteran-owned and operated training store and gun store located in Eagle, Colorado. They specialize in training opportunities from pistol, rifle, night vision, tactical medicine, long range, and much, much more. They can be found online at alpinearms.com or at 50 Chambers Ave, Eagle, Colorado. The podcast is also brought to you by Hoffman Tactical. Hoffman Tactical is a company based out of Yuma, Arizona, and they make and sell a large variety of dog training equipment. Everything from muzzles to slap mills and in between. If you want some handmade, made-in-America gear, check out Hoffman Tactical Canine Training Equipment on Facebook and Instagram and their new website. All right, guys, my guest today is Michael Nesbeth. Michael Nesbeth is a world-class dog trainer and the owner and founder of Grassroots Canine. He specializes in training police dogs, service dogs, pet dogs, and is a general badass. This episode is also brought to you by my new co-host on some episodes, Stephen Anamarchi. So stay tuned. Check it out. Give it a rock. Let's go. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. See you. From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces Canine offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces Canine will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces Canine is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility, which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine www.jointforcescanine.com or call 479-802-0775 jointforcescanine.com 479-802-0775 all righty we are live first uh co-host episode with steven antamarchi and um our honored guest michael nesbeth so welcome to the show gentlemen uh, thank you for having me i'm happy to be here you back absolutely so this is a first and uh you know we'll see how it goes so um mr michael uh why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do yeah definitely um so my name is michael nesbeth uh i'm 
the owner of a company called Grassroots K9. Uh, we have uh, a few locations um, in Canada and throughout the U.S. Uh, we do pet dog training, uh, but we also provide training for law enforcement um, and military teams, uh, canine teams, obviously, um, as well as, uh, you know, try and fill, you know, the hole um, for vending uh, some dogs as well to, to some of these agencies around. By no means do we have, uh, we're not, at, you know, a huge kennel. Uh, we don't have, you know, 50 dogs, 100 dogs sitting here in kennels at all times. Uh, you know, we're probably, we, we run around maybe, you know, six to 10 dogs that we're raising uh, for police dogs. Uh, and, you know, kind of, I, I like it. It's like, a, I look at it almost like a, you know, craft brewery, you know, like we get to be a little bit more hands-on with these dogs and, uh, it, it, you know, really get to know the dogs and work them through and, you know, answer, you know, history questions when it comes to time for them to, to be sold or, or placed to where they're going. So that's kind of the little brief synopsis of, of what we do. The other thing that I, I, I do quite a bit is um, I travel with a organization called Canines United, um, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, and we go around and do usually about four conferences a year. Um, that's basically everything police canine. Um, we, and we try and help as many teams as we can. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. That's all. So I'm going to, well, maybe Steven and I can go back and forth on the question. So we're not stepping on each other, but, uh, Steven, I'm going to pass it over to you and, uh, let sure. you do the next uh, question here. So the canines United stuff, Mike, that's where I actually know you from. It's been following you. So huge fan here. I think what you're doing is pretty awesome, man. I love the Thank way you. that you articulate certain facts to guys. I love the way that you disseminate that information. So on the police side, cer certainly appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, for our side of the industry. But one, one of the things that uh, I, I always have to start off with when I talk to anybody canine related is what inspires me, who got me where I was, because right? I didn't get in this position by myself. So, you know, I always talk about Tony Guzman and Bob Suarez, guys that really brought me up and, and really conditioned me to be the trainer I am today. Who are some of the guys that influenced you and what does that mean to you? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's actually pretty funny that you bring up Tony Guzman. I was in South Florida. I, have, I haven't had the chance of uh, doing any work with him yet, but definitely I've, I've kind of crossed paths with people that have shared the same set sentiments as you. Yeah. Um, I, I started, you know, my, my dog journey didn't really start with dogs to begin with. Um, I was, I went to school for psychology um, and sociology and kind of have some degrees there. Uh, so kind of really almost fell in love with you know, changing behavior and, um, you know, kind of learning principles and, and, and those things. Uh, I tried it out on, on humans, uh, wasn't too good with it with humans. Uh, so I kind of ended up with dogs, you know, I, I was really, really lucky to uh, be able to train with a ton of like really talented people. You know, uh, again, I started in uh, South Florida when I really got into the working dog stuff and it was just as a, a training decoy at like a, uh, a small French ring club. Um, it was, uh, the, the guys in that French ring club were, uh, a little older. Um, so, you know, I, I was, you know, volunteered as, uh, the, the, the decoy. <laughs> and, uh, told. Yeah. And I, I, I fell in love with it. You know, it was love at first bite essentially, you know, and pretty much learn from osmosis from anyone that I could be around that had any information about dogs. I mean, I still try and keep that same uh, idea today. You know, I'm, I, I'm really close friends with, uh, you know, a, a ton of people in the industry that I really look up to as well. And I, and I try and steal as much information as I can from them. Um, wow. So 
it, if I start naming names, it'll be, um, I'm going to mess up and like leave one person out or <laughs> so it's pretty much everyone is. It, Amen, brother. So, um, what would you say was your hardest, um, challenge w- w- within getting into the dog industry, whether that was personal or business related, what, what was your hardest hurdle to, to overcome? Uh, I would probably say the, the hardest hurdle for me to, to overcome in getting into the dog industry was kind of just breaking down the bit. Like I have no background in law enforcement. I have no background, uh, in the military, you know, those, those are not, that's not where I have any kind of knowledge or, or information, you know? So it was really hard. Also, you look, I, although I'm a very handsome face, um, sometimes <laughs> I, I don't look like the, the guy that's like the, the typical canine guy. Right. So, uh, to me, like the hardest thing was like breaking down that barrier and, and you guys are in the canine world. So, you know how it, it, it's, it's like a fine line of dancing between saying, Hey, look how much information I know and how good I am and how I can help you. Uh, but also remaining humble and trying to sell yourself at that same time. Right. If you oversell it, you just look like a, an asshole, excuse my French. Um, and if you undersell it, um, no one really even cares what you bring to the table so kind of just literally uh, i would show up places where it was they gave me a little chance of maybe even getting they're like yeah maybe you can come out i'll be there before everyone got there <laughs> like um and you know and just showing up and, and doing the work and uh really breaking down the barriers when we started to you know teams would run into problems and you know as a collective without making people feel like dumbasses and you know, like they don't know what they're doing, like as a collective, you know, coming together and kind of solving the issue, you know, as a joint and, and make, creating kind of a, a, an environment that was conducive for that. I love that, man. So, so Mike, was there anything specific that like an aha moment, uh, a learning technique or something that changed your perspective about training? Uh, just speaking for myself, when I truly could get my mind wrapped around like classical opera conditioning and then more specific, like instincts and how to manipulate certain instincts for me, it was a game changer. Was there anything specific in the learning process, something that really changed things for you? Yeah, I think, and it's, I'm happy I didn't say any names cause I want to have to kind of throw people under the bus, but I'm happy I didn't say any names. Um, I, I think when I, I first got into that, um, like that, that French ring club and I was learning things, I, I really thought, uh, you know, with working dogs, uh, you know, a lot of like machoism gets involved in this. Right. And it's like, Hey, you know, let's, this dog's doing it because it has to do it. That's why it's doing it. And I, and you know, really early on, I was like, okay, I guess this is the way that things go. And it, it, it something inside me told me like, Hey, this, this might not be right, but people were having really good success with that. Um, and, and then when I, at the same time, I was doing some pet training stuff at, at a local, uh, like boarding and uh, daycare facility. And I got to see like these people that would come in and, you know, um, be just using a, a clicker or just some food and have their dogs doing like these amazing tricks that I was like, right. well, that's way more complicated than getting a Malinois run down the field and bite someone. Like they want <laughs> to do that. These, these dogs don't want to sit on your shoulder and then backflip right. off. Right. And, and seeing them doing it totally off leash and the dogs super happy and motivated. I was like, Oh, well, there's, there's more to this. Like, how to, and, you know, still, you know, I try and have aha moments as many times as I can. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm still chasing it, but for me, that was like one of the first, like really big, like, wait a minute, there's more going on here. So to, to touch on, <clears throat> so most of my dog training clients are pet clients, right? Like obviously 
you know, I've, I, uh, I want to get into your world and, and Steven's invited me down to his place in Texas for me to put my suit on and get, you know, get fucking hazed, all that. But, um, <laughs> I've had more than a couple pet clients come like, you know, co- talk to me and say, Hey, like, so, you know, I, I, I think I made the mistake of telling them that I like to work with police dogs and bite dogs, blah, 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 blah. But then they say, um, you know, so what's the difference between a pet and a police dog? And then sometimes that doesn't go my way. Um, what would be your, you know, recommendation on how to handle that question and kind of not put off the, you know, the, the, the millionaire, um, you know, fur mom. I don't know too many millionaire fur moms. So, I mean, my <laughs> clientele is based a little different than yours. Uh, no, all jokes aside, I, the, the first thing, I think that there's more commonalities between the two um, than there are differences. You know, I, I think behavior is behavior is behavior. If we're teaching the pet poodle to sit down or we're teaching, you know, a really high level detection dog to search off leash and follow directionals, like it's still behavior. I um, mean, the principles that we follow are still the same where the, where the changes happen. Um, to me is a lot of times with pets, uh, we're, we're trying to kind of, at least for us, where it's more of like problem behavior pets. So we're trying to kind of like take the edge off of them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, like, Hey, like settle down, like go, go to your place and, and mm-hmm. hang out on your place where a lot of like with, with the working dogs, especially young working dogs that we're building up, I'm, I'm kind of trying to increase the, the, the level of <laughs> tenacity that's there. So it's still behavior is behavior is behavior. It's just how we're executing that Um, as well as, you know, and then I I also just say to them, like genetics are a lot of times us as trainers, especially like working dog trainers and try to take all the credit that we can get. And so this is my great training that made Mm. this dog a phenomenal police dog. Uh, And chances are that dog raised by anyone probably would have been a phenomenal police dog. Like you don't have that much impact on some of these dogs. Right. So, uh, I've also tried to explain a little bit of of how those genetics work, you know, um, generally, uh, I I think it, it, it goes over well. So I'll ask this and if you can give me an answer on the police side and then the civilian side. So you've seen a lot of police dogs. What are some of the most common issues you see people coming to you with? And, and like I said, answer that on the civilian side as well. All right. So I'll, I'll start with um, the police side just because of kind of where we're at and uh, yeah. the podcast we're on. Um, I, I think some of the most common problems that I see um, with the police dogs is just an overall lack of clear communication. Um, you know, whether it, it's, and, and that goes through all, kind of the, the facets of what their requirements are, right? Whether it's in bite work, whether it's in detection, tracking, uh, you know, searching behaviors. Uh, I feel like there's, there has been, it's pretty common that there's just not really good and effective communication. Um, and, and I think it's, it can be kind of ironic because, you know, you get to some of these uh, teams that I get to work with and outside of the dog, you know, generally, cops and and military guys understand how important effective, clear communication is. Right. (laughs) So uh, I think it's a a little bit of irony there. And, and, you know, uh, I, one of my favorite parts of doing, you know, these seminars and and even these podcasts is like, if we can get to those moments where I I can help people reach that light bulb and say like, yeah, you know what? 
I don't really know what I'm asking of my dog or why I expect my dog to understand this, you know? So there's a lot behind communication, right? So do you think it's a, uh, equipment thing? Is it a timing thing? Is it a misunderstanding of what, what, um, they should be doing physically as opposed to what they're saying, maybe verbally. Cause I see that total opposite. Sometimes there'd be, be, they may be asking the dog to do one thing with, you know, vocally, but physically it's putting the dog in opposition reflex or something like that. Yeah. So all of the above. And I think one of the things that because we're humans and our main form of communication is verbal, um, that we overcompensate a lot of the times with dogs. Right. And, and we talk a ton, um, but we communicate very little (laughs) while we're doing that. Right. So uh, I, I think that that's, that's also a, a really kind of a really common thing that I see. Yeah. So when I'm working with most of my pet clients, I'm like, Hey, shut the fuck up. Like your dog doesn't speak English. You know what I mean? And like, I, I saw I, I'm hey, all, don't, don't, don't talk to your pet clients like that, man. Well, no, no, no. I can, obviously I dumb it down, but within the, you know, the company of like-minded gentlemen, um, I, I, you know, I try and tell them, I'm like, Hey, uh, let's work on when we're doing off leash obedience and you're 20 feet away from your dog. Let's go to your dog mark and reward and release them from there before the releasing them from where they're at to come to you because you're probably twitching your eye or, or doing something that you don't even realize that you're doing, but your dog's fucking reading it and it's anticipating a reward at you and it's going to break. How, um, how much emphasis do you put on dogs being masters of, uh, reading body language and how do you adapt your training style to deal with that, especially with pet clients? Yeah. So like, uh, I think, you know, it's pretty common knowledge now, like, uh, that there's no other animal on the planet that reads human body language better than a dog. You know, there, there's these, there's a reason why they've been able to evolve alongside of us, um, and, and have a, a mutually beneficial relationship and chimpanzees and, and dolphins and wolves and all, all of them haven't been able to. Right. Um, so they read us probably better than we read each other. Um, you know, it's one of the benefits to having a dog. Uh, but we, we also need to, you know, really try and take, uh, kind of precautions, uh, you know, in our training plans and, and, and what we're communicating to the dog when we know that the dogs are doing this, right. We, 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 we really, when we have an understanding that the dogs are doing this and, and it, it helps us to be able to kind of almost, you know, preventing a problem is better than fixing a problem. So if we don't give way to that problem to, or, or to become a problem, um, and we've prevented it, that's the best way to me, you know? Yeah. So, so Mike, what is some of the old wives tales or, things that you see over and over again that are just completely false that have been passed down from generation to generation. I saw one of your videos and it was, you know, uh, obedience kills drive. And you kind of make sure you explain that really, really well. So go into that for me, man, and and take it wherever you want to go. Yeah. um, I think there's a ton of them and uh, definitely like the obedience kills drive um, is one. Uh, I, I think like people are starting to, or a, a lot of people are starting to kind of come over to that side of things of like, yeah, no, it doesn't kill drive. Like it's, you know, we can have effective communication in our obedience and it, and it increases drive, right. Being able to channel that uh, to where we want it to go. Uh, I think a lot of things, you know, like I, I don't think uh, it's 
quite washed out of the industry just yet. Um, but like the, the whole like alpha rolling, <laughs> flipping dogs over yeah. um, and establishing your dominance. Uh, one, if, if that was the case and, and like, and it, and it did work um, as a, as a police dog handler, like I, I asked guys like, Hey, would you want, if it's just humans we're talking about and, and you and your buddy are going to go into a really sketchy situation, would you want the guy that, you know, um, will just let you slap him around and, and beat him up and lay on top of him. And, and he just kind of tucks his tail and doesn't care. Or will you want the guy that you smack in the face and he'll smack you right back in your face? <laughs> who, who would you want to go into, into a problem with or a hairy situation? Right. right on. Um, and so to me, that's the same thing for the dogs. Like we're, we're trying to teach them. Hey, you guys are these, you dogs are, are basically kings and queens of, of the world that you run. Me and you are, are partners and we're working in conjunction with each other. Uh, but it's not about, you know, I'm, I'm going to dominate you and in, into in submission, you know? Right. So I, I think that that's another one that needs to kind of get washed out of here. And because also there's plenty of dogs that are assholes, but they're really great working dogs. And, I would, I would pay any amount of money to see someone try an alpha roll. Right. <laughs> Have fun with it. Right. The popcorn. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, I don't, I wouldn't try that with my dog, dude. Like yeah. there's, there's, there, you know, there's, there's, there's levels to this stuff. And, yeah. you know, part of my, part of my, so, you know, I'm a new trainer. I, I hate to say that in front of people like you guys. I hate to even cons consider myself in the same class because I'm nowhere near it. But I do very well with pet dogs. Um, but I've been working at a pet store here locally, and it's a fire pet store, dude. Like all holistic, uh, mostly raw, badass supplements, fucking a wealth of knowledge. And Dude, like when I'm in there, some of the stuff that I see boils my blood, dude. Like with I, I, I've literally seen old ladies get dragged down to the ground and then dragged across the floor. And then I, I kind of like offer, I'm like, Hey, um, you ever thought about using a, you know, a training call? And like, they get mad at you, dude. It's like, it's almost like yeah. it's unsolicited, um, gym advice or something. Yeah. Um, just yeah. to kind of expand on what, what his question was, what, what would, what's, you know, working in, aside from law enforcement, what would you say, um, just to ask a random question, what would you say, uh, off the top of your head is one of the most belligerent, like ridiculous things that you've heard or seen in person with working with pet dogs? Well, that's hard. That's putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you don't have to mention well, names. Yeah. I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't know if I, if I have anything that is going to be, you know, pot, podcast worthy. Like, I, 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 you know, we all run into those things, you know, those people getting, you know, just kind of brutalized by their pet dogs and, and, you know, overwhelmed. Um, but along the lines of like what you were saying in, the, in those situations, like there's so many people out there that have really, good dogs don't that don't know what they're doing but actually want help right there's there's an endless amount of those people so if we try and offer help to someone and they don't want help like i feel, i truly feel bad for the dog but there's another line of you know thousands of people that want help so we have to we can only help someone and help their them in their relationship with their dog if they want help and they want to kind of engage in it right so it, it 
and the further like that we get into the the pet stuff like or or, or us here at grassroots canine um like the more we can we, we're trying to become a little bit more selective with that right like if, if you're not for a pet owner it's the same thing as a dog is a dog is a dog man if you're, if you're not going to commit to this and, and you don't want help yeah. I don't want to be the one that that's going to be getting the blame for when things don't work out. Right. We don't, we don't want to take that. So there's a ton of people that actually want help and will put in the work that needs to be put in. So, you know, hey, target I them. That. I see. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same, but some civilian handlers are so much more dedicated than some people on the police side. And I'm on the police side. I see a lot of dogs and I'm one of the groups one of the few groups in North Texas where we'll allow civilians to come in. I think there's a tremendous awesome. value in that. And awesome. uh, I, I really preach that to my guys. There's so something that we can learn. And w- the first thing they see is the passion. And those are the guys that are getting their first, leaving last, asking the best questions, wanting reps. And I love that. Um, getting back on the police side, man, if you could be Frankenstein for a second, you can create your own dog from big, I mean, from every little aspect, from its instincts to its size to the breed, and you had an opportunity to do that. What does that dog look like to you, specifically to the police side? And take it wherever you want. All right. Um, well, breed, I'm going to go with Malinois okay. <laughs> uh, right away. Um, I, I don't like a, a, a super big dog, uh, you know, so I think like kind of on the smaller side, like I would take a 50, 55-pounder. I'm with you. Um, I, I like – a very, very prey driven, prey kind of aggression type dog um, that has very low self preservation mm. and um, super solid environmentals, you know, whatever in drive, out of drive, um, and will really, really hunt. Uh, and then the, the biting behavior generally, if a dog is like that, I, the type of biting behavior that I see is, you know, full countering um biting biting with intent is very you know because sometimes we get dogs that bite and have full mouths and counter but just kind of go through the motions yeah Um, and to me like the intent is is, um, an important part of that Uh, and then you know the perfect dog uh to me would have on and off switch have all of those things and have an off switch now sometimes it's really hard to come across a dog like that's a unicorn to me right yeah um but yeah clarity um yeah, that, I think that that sums it up. I'm sure I'm going to listen back to this after it records and be like, oh, I should have said this too, or I should have said that. <laughs> well, we can definitely do a part two, man. You are always welcome on here, and uh, and I really appreciate that you've always been willing. I'm, I'm just that random annoying civilian that drives all over the country and shows up to these police events. And, That's pretty uh, much me too, man. Yeah, but you get paid to be there. I got to pay to be there. So it's a little bit different. But uh, just to kind of expand on what you just said, as a young trainer and somebody who's new to the police dog side of the world, I'm on my second working dog. Um, you, you you mentioned prey aggression. So like when I look at my dog, he's he's a prey monster. Like he's, he's a prey monster. I've never really worked him in defense yet. He's still a little immature. And I was recommended like, Hey, like he's got it. Like, you know, just, just kind of hold off on that. And, and then when you say intent, so just to kind of give a self example, uh, when, when I was down in Denver and I saw you and Carlos work my dog and, and, and he took the, when, when we finished, he's like, dude, your dog bites fucking hard. Like look at my arm. And like my dog it was on the bicep first time on the full suit with no back tie. And he was like, 
every time he was, he was biting and countering and stuff like that. Can, can you kind of detail what that looks like to, to, to a dumbass like me, if I'm watching a dog, what prey aggression looks like and how you can tell when a dog's biting with intent or, or what that means. From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces Canine offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces Canine will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces Canine is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility facility, which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine, www.jointforcescanine.com or call 479-802-0775. Jointforcescanine.com, 479-802-0775. Yeah, um, I I can try to to explain it, and sometimes I, I think. Well, the caveat to this is like everyone has different words for different things in dog training, so we can kind of lose things in there. So what, what what I say like about intent, part of dog training is like science. The other part is like art. So it's it's hard to explain necessarily like why a, not that I'm a big art follower, but like why a, a a Picasso paint is like, tell me why this Picasso painting is a great painting. And this one next to it isn't as great. Kind of hard to explain. Um, I, I think when I'm saying intent, like, and this may sound kind of back to the folklore thing. Uh, but like, I, I really see a lot in a dog's eyes, like knowing mm. that like this dog is, is biting me and, and, and trying to cause maximum amount of pain, mm. like really trying to, to hurt the person. And, and when you work, you know, a, a good amount of dogs, you're, you'll see some dogs that you are biting you and they're doing everything that looks good. Like, but it's almost like they're just going through the motions, right? They're just biting and countering and wrapping you and walking with you. And then there's that one dog that comes out and it's biting and smashing. you. A mm -hmm. lot of times those dogs will bite counter and then sometimes have a little bit of a thrash bite counter, a little bit of a thrash. Um, but like, that's what I, what I mean by intent, like wanting to like biting with ill intentions, yeah. And no, then and, and gotcha. Gotcha. I see what you mean about not being able to explain, but then, um, prey aggression, what's the difference between a dog that's just in prey drive and then exhibiting prey aggression. You're going to get people mad at me for listening to this, <laughs> listening to this podcast now. Uh, you know, to me, prey aggression is not just the typical prey, uh, that we see in like puppies, bouncing back and forth, just wanting to chase after things and almost a little bit playful. Um, prey, a prey aggression has all of those things, but also has that intent, that, that, that intent there, like that, that, you know, desire to take things a little bit further, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm wanting to take off, like, you know, go after it okay. for good. Yeah. Mike, where do you get most of your dogs? Is it are you breeding these dogs locally, or are you getting them for overseas, or where are you getting these dogs? Uh, combination. So uh, we de we do breed. Uh, by no means am I a breeder. Like mm -hmm. I don't consider myself a a, a breeder. Uh, we breed in 
literally keep our last litter. We have every puppy from the litter. Um, they're probably just under five months, around five months right now. I mean, we, we raise them up um, and, and then try and place them into to police homes. Um, so we don't sell puppies at all. Uh, but we, and then we also do import sometimes. Uh, you know, it's after COVID, well, you know, hit over here, uh, kind of shut everything down for us for a while. So uh, we weren't be able, able to, you know, get the dogs from Europe like we, we usually would. So we had to kind of uh, slow down a bit on that. And uh, I'm kind of liking, you know, that this, this puppy raising process of it. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm really starting to enjoy it. Uh, I get to see, like I said, these dogs, you know, mostly every day. Um, we, we, we have a, a really like really good, strong team here. And uh, a lot of our trainers get assigned a puppy that's just for them. So they'll take them home. They'll, they're, they're not just sitting in a kennel, you know, right. and just waiting till they're a year and a half, two years old to then go test. Like they're doing things every single day. We have uh, puppy development programs that we put together for them. So, awesome. um, you know, yeah, it, it's. Well, I'd imagine there's a ton of value in that, right? Like recognizing and controlling as much of the associations that dog is making through its lifetime. Right. And through its yeah. adolescence and. And right when we're training, we try to control those things as much as we can. When we're getting dogs from Europe, we might not understand every association that dog has made through its lifetime because we're getting them, yeah. when you know, a year old or whatnot. Exactly. Exactly. And just knowing, you know, and again, there's, we can do everything, you know, quote unquote, right. Um, and sometimes dogs just don't have it. That's yeah. also, that's a part of it as well. Being able to, the dog, like also recognize, yeah, this dog is on the right track and this, this dog is not. Yeah, I have been recently visiting Tony in Miami, and he told me something kind of scary. He told me that uh, almost 70 to 75 percent of the places he'd be getting dogs in Europe are closed because of COVID and the stuff that's happening in Ukraine. So mm-hmm. his his uh, he anticipates having a shortage of dogs, and I feel like we're already seeing that. Does that, yeah. does that scare you in any way? Does that motivate you to really develop your own dogs more? Um, doesn't it doesn't scare me? Um, I. You know, I gen- we don't make like from when it comes to like selling police dogs, mm-hmm. uh, we don't make a ton of money off of it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's more it's a, a passion, passion project for me. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we raise these dogs, um, you know, and, and when we get it's pretty fulfilling to get to see like, wow, this dog that we, you know, bred and raised and and, you know, had everything to do with its upbringing until this point is now gone to be a police dog. Um, that within itself is, is, is kind of reinforcing, you know, and that's kind of, so that's what I get out of it. So to, just to kind of piggyback off of that, um, I've talked to a lot of people and, um, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast, a lot of people with breeding programs and people from Europe, people from here. Um, the, you know, the old word on the street was that Europe has the best dogs and the best trainers, um, with, the current um, new legislations in a lot of countries over there banning prong collars, banning electric collars, et cetera, et cetera, COVID. Do you see any impact on the fact that, you know, Europe used to produce the best dogs and trainers, or do you think that's kind of swaying in, in Canada and the USA's favor? Where, where, what's your thoughts on that? Well, first and foremost, I like, I'm glad that you, uh, put Canada in there and didn't just say the U S Oh dude, I, hey, um, brother, I got you. Man. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for like, 
and I haven't been in dogs extremely long. You know, I've been here for just a, a little bit over 10 years. Um, but I've always noticed that there's been a huge like European mystique, you know, when it comes to North America, you know, Canada and America, like every, like, well, this dog is from Europe and this, this trainer trained in Europe. He was a Schutzen trainer in Europe or he did KMPV in Europe. And like, a, I don't necessarily think that it's just the location uh, of, of where you trained or like there's definitely really shitty trainers that train in KMPV and train in Europe. And there's really good trainers that train there and, and, and vice versa. There's really good dogs. I think a lot of the, the a really good genetic or gene pool has made its way over to America. You know, I, I think dogs have also changed a bit because the requirements for dogs have changed, right? Mm -hmm. Hunting, um, you know, hunting, getting out there, finding odor, building searches, you know, these are things that weren't always required of, of like police dogs. Right. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, some people say like the dogs have gotten weaker and weaker as times have gone on. I think like our requirements have just become more on, okay. and we're, we're start having to, you know, wash dogs that we wouldn't maybe have necessarily washed before for things that didn't yeah. matter. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And one more thing before I pass it over to Steven after this response, but, um, in, in, in your ideal world, ideal world, you know, grassroots, Michael Nesbitt's ideal world, would you rather import a one or two year old dog? I, and I think this is a stupid question. I think I know exactly what you're going to say, or would you rather take a chance and pay money for an eight week old dog to come to you and you raise it in house and sell it as a police dog? Or do you find more benefit in selecting a dog that might've already been tested? That's a little bit older from a, you know, a solid breeder overseas. Yeah, my answer actually might surprise you because one would be that it like, am I importing this dog to sell immediately because mm. there's someone that needs a dog and avoid to be filled? Um, then yeah, for sure I would get the, the two year old because I can test what's there. Right? Mm, yeah. Anytime we're playing with puppies, it's always a gamble. They can look really good at eight weeks old, and you know, two months later look like the they're opposite. afraid of their shadow. Right? right? Yeah. Um, what's more fulfilling for me is the eight week old puppy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I would, if it was totally up to me, I would rather take, okay, we need a dog. We need for sure. We need a dog in a year and a half or two years from now. Uh, let me get three, eight week old puppies. And hopefully if we play these odds, right. One of these eight week old puppies at least will be able to fill that, what that need was there. Right. Um, so it's way more fulfilling. I get to know the dog more. It's not like police dog stuff is, is really not about money for me. Like I, it's not just about, and, and, and it's not a shot at anyone that like, I understand people need to make a living and, and this is what, but like, for me, this is not where, that's not where it comes from. Um, so I, we do this because it's fun for us to do. This is, this is a passion project. Um, so yeah, I would, I would much rather a younger dog, uh, to, to be able to raise up and, you know, it's also way more for like, if we have a two year old dog and I have it for, a month and a half and then it goes to a police. It's not as funny. Well, <laughs> yeah. What does that really you know, mean genetics. versus like, oh, I've had this dog for yeah. a year and a half, two years, and now he goes? Then I feel right. you know. Yeah. So is there a perfect age? And I probably that's a bad way to Damn it. I just wrote this question on my phone, dude. Damn it. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm gonna say something different. Uh so is there a 
perfect age, whether it be eight months, nine months, 10 months, a year, where you feel like, okay, by this time I have, I can really evaluate this dog to his core and see if this is going to work out. Have you seen in your experience like a, that perfect time? Because I have one in my head that I've had luck yeah. with, but I've also had variations. So what's yours? Yeah. So <laughs> not a good guy to ask this question to. Okay. Um, because I should actually bring my wife in here so she can tell you I'm very, very quick to say this puppy or this dog doesn't have it. Like I, I'm not, I'm not forgiving. I'm not, I'm right. I'll, I'll, if the, the dog does one little thing that I question, I'm like, no, get rid of him. I don't, yeah. I don't, this, he's not for it. Let's put him in a pet home or let's yeah. move him somewhere else. He's not going to be a, um, and I've been wrong a ton of times. So like it, yeah. it doesn't, you know, I've definitely been right as well, but, uh, I've, I've been wrong um, enough times that I have to give that explanation. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I always try to lean on the side of like caution when it, when I, when it comes to, Hey, does this pup, if I'm, if I don't feel like very convinced, like, and I'm not, no questions whatsoever that this dog is going to take over or do the tasks that are necessary. Uh, I'm pretty like I'm, I'll, I'll want to call it quits on that dog. Well, so how uh, early, and, how what's the earliest you've ever been convinced that a dog was going to work? Um, I, I've seen it at you know three months old sometimes. Like it, depending on what on what I'm seeing. Like right. if I see that the dog is like environmentally just a, a really nervy dog, and and, right. and these things aren't going to work, for, then like I could see it that young. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if it comes to like, you know, let's say he environmentally, they're if they're really solid environmentally, I'll. I, I'm not so fast to, to wash them. So I, I would probably wait till, you know, maybe the, the nine, 10 month range, um, see, you know, I, I want to see what that, what their hunting behaviors are like, um, yeah. for sure. I think one of the other tricks that, um, uh, our friends over overseas use is, um, they, they consistently tell us just, you know, you have to wait for the dog to mature. Um, so you can see as, uh, you know, see what his attributes are. Um, and I, I don't think that we should have to wait till a dog is three years old to see oh how much gosh. he wants to, to hunt or, uh, how well his biting behavior is, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, I'm another, probably not the best answer because it's kind of like a, well, it depends answer, hmm. but yeah, of course uh, you gotta, you gotta check that, you know, you got to work the dog in front of you and, and it varies. Yeah. So to kind of, um, so I've had Steven on the podcast twice now and, um, I'm hoping to, you know, do this, uh, co-hosting stuff. And, and he talks a lot about instincts. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pass the football to you, Steven. And then I want to hear, uh, you know, Mike's thoughts on that. Could you kind of, um, expound on your instinct philosophy selection and, and what they are, and then, you know, have, have Mike give a retort to that? Sure. Sure. So first off, you have to, I have to say that this is nothing I created, right? Mike, a lot of this comes from, uh, Tony and Bob guys who've really helped me understand these, these, uh, these concepts, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about prey aggression instinct and for us, the way we would analyze that and, and describe it is basically the hunting process, the ability for that organism to locate its prey, to pursue its prey, to engage, bite and consume. Because most of these, um, dogs that we mess with, they get fed every day. The idea of consumption is not as a priority as the other three right? The ability to locate, pursue, and engage. This is like, we're doing a handler school right now. This is fundamentally something that we want the dog, the handlers to understand about the dogs. 
within that, right, the dog's ability to locate, pursue, engage, we describe them as cups, right? The dog is born with a size cup. As trainers, we try to fill that cup up as much as we can. And sometimes we get to a point where it's overfilling. It's like, that's all that, that's all that engagement you're going to get from that dog, unfortunately. We've done everything we can. And for yep. me, back to the last question, for me, I see it around eight, nine months. For me, like I'm not really, uh, at that time, I feel like I should really be able to see those pronounced instincts. Now, that also means that I'm assuming that dog has been raised correctly, right? That it's, it's been given all of the opportunities for those specific instincts to be elicited correctly. But then we talk about, you know, defense aggression, which I don't need to explain because we talk about dog fighting and defense. It's a different philosophy. The dog's not going out to hunt. He's, he's doing it in more of a protective mode. Life preservation. We yeah. So we, we give examples of that. Then we go to what we call um, uh, social aggression, which we should be familiar with. It's the dog's ability to impose his will over the handler or pack members or perceived pack members. And we test the dog by utilizing just the anatomy. A lot of times you touch flanks and the dog gets really irritable, um, base of the tail, you know, things of that nature. Um, in basic obedience, we sometimes see signs of social aggression. And we just, again, it's a cup that we either trying to elicit more of or empty the cup out. Um, then we have active aggression, which is the dog's love and lust for, for battle, right? This is a lot of times an issue that we find in police work. We think it's something we want a ton of because it sounds really great. Like, man, that dog loves to battle. That sounds awesome. Well, there's, you can have too much of that. And it's it also, for me, I've seen dogs not be able to learn in that state of mind. So although it's nice to have in the dog, if I'm trying to teach it a new, let's say, building searches, right? And as a police canine handler, I got to do my announcements. And everybody knows as soon as you start your announcement, if the dog has been predisposed to understanding he's probably going to get a bite in this situation, the lust for battle, the love for battle starts to, to show via rhythmic barking, you know, the hot pads spinning around. And so it's hard for us to, to have that dog really understand everything when it's in that state of mind. So we kind of go over all those instincts. We separate them so the, the handler can see them. And we go over drills that either suppresses those instincts that we don't want or elicit more of them. And basically what we're trying to do is make those handlers trainers, right? At the end of the day, you are responsible for your dog. It's a lot of liability that is behind police service dogs. So I want to make sure that when they leave our handler course, that those guys are equipped to deal with these things and they're constantly evaluating. So we have canine profiles for every single dog that comes in and we say, hey, at a scale of one to 10, your dog's social aggression is at uh, six. That means we still have to do some work to, to lower that. And these are the things you constantly have to be thinking about. So that's that's kind of our philosophy. That's what Steve is talking about. Um, but yeah, well, I don't, I don't know what you think about that or if if you have a variation of that. But like you said before, a lot of the language we use may be different, but we all tend to understand after an explanation. Yeah. And I, I think, um, like a few important things is that there, there has to be some type of system, um, and some way of, of taking measurements within that system. Right. So, uh, that those, those canine profiles that you have are, are extremely important. Uh, I think again, sometimes we get as trainers, people can get caught in the semantics of things like, well, you said it's this, or you skipped out this part of, right. you know, I can sit like to me, if, if the message is clear and the dogs are understanding, you know, a lot of times we can just muddy that up. Like if it, if it works, it works, it works. Like that's the, 
I, I definitely like I, I don't disagree with them um, the like those categories uh, per se. I think that um, you know for me when I look at instincts, uh, I, I look at uh, you know in conjunction with you things that are are uh, within an animal that are not basically trained behaviors, right? Things that the dog, like a dog, I don't have to teach a dog how to eat. A dog right. knows how to eat, right? Uh, I don't teach a dog how to walk. He knows how to walk. I don't necessarily, I don't have to teach him how to use his nose to find interesting things that he finds interesting because that's his instinct is that. So a lot of what, what we're, what we're doing um, as dog trainers in general, again, pet dogs or, or, or police dogs, um, is trying to harness those instincts um, and, and put them towards things that are uh, conducive and going to be productive for the jobs uh, that we have assigned to, to those dogs, right? And for our pet dogs, that may be, hey, I want you to t- take your instinct to hunt um, and chase those squirrels and suppress it. Instead of hunting for those squirrels and chasing, why don't you chase this ball and, and, and giving them that, that right. means of doing it right. There's, um, are you guys familiar with Temple Grandin? You heard of probably saying her name wrong. Um, she, she has a, a book called, uh, animals make us human. Um, and she talks about, um, these things called blue ribbon emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's basically like this kind of instincts, but more about like, um, animals trying to satisfy certain instincts and, and, and how they do it. I mean, it kind of conjuncts, uh, like, flows with what you were talking about you know they have uh, i'm i'm gonna i know that there's five of them there's you know seeking um there's i'm gonna mess up there's fear there's um sex but like they they they, they, they kind of it's what makes animals uh, you know and, and and each animal within those categories you know applies things a little bit differently so right. uh yeah i think that's Cool. Makes sense to me. Yeah. No, I, uh, I wrote that book down. Animals make us humans. And then I highlighted blue ribbon emotions. Um, yeah. so I got about five more minutes, gentlemen. So let's just kind of keep that in mind. But, um, when, when, when you're selecting a dog for your police program, <clears throat> what are some examples of no go criteria? Like what you see these behaviors, give us a couple and, and like, you're done, you're gone obviously uh so sorry Go ahead. yeah i i, I me personally I, I test environmentals before i do anything else i want to see the dog totally out of drive walking into dark rooms great upgraded stairs slick surfaces shiny places tight but spaces um if i see them hitting the brakes and shutting down and not wanting to go into any of that uh i stop immediately or just move to the next dog um after if they pass those testing uh, testing protocols i test kind of my hunt tests so you know generally i like to use a toy for that not so much food mm-hmm. uh, but you know i'll start pretty simple a little bit of prey attraction let them see the ball get thrown into long grass they field hunt for it um if the dog decides uh, i don't want to go hunt this isn't for me test is over I, I don't i'm not so concerned with the dog actually finding the item um more about how committed and intense are they to actually keep searching for the item um, so if they pass those two tests, um, uh, then maybe I test some bite stuff. Uh, it's going to vary based off of the age, uh, and, you know, maturity of that dog. Uh, but I, I, I want to see that the dog is capable of dealing with 
some level of confrontation, not just, you know, the, you know, pattern, Hey, here's my sleeve, bite the sleeve and let's go for a walk. And I, I want them to be able to see, deal with some level of confrontation and that'll change, um, you know, again, based off of the age of the dog, the maturity, and sometimes also the training that that dog has seen. Right. Um, that's what, the kind what, of basic what, core. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, how soon are you adding any kind of stress before and evaluating if the dog is handling that stress and how, and obviously there are variations of stress. There's gradations of everything, but how early are you, are you trying to see where that irritability threshold is in that dog? Um, are you specifically in bite work you're saying? Let's just say in general, speaking just, for a police dog, you talk about environmentals. How soon yeah, are you going to so, introduce kind of any stressful situation? Yes, I, I, I try to get them to that point in my environmental test where they're unsure and they're feeling a little bit of stress. So that that's going to be different for each dog. Maybe it is that open grade, graded stairs. Right? I'm okay with the dog being like, whoa, I've never seen this. Right. Uh, I, I don't really know about this thing, but all right, let's go. And then goes up it super happy with seeing that. Cause I want to see what do you do in that moment of like, Oh shit. Right now, if the dog says, Oh, I don't know what to do. Forget it. I'm never going near these stairs again. Obviously. Yeah. You know, that is, is not going to be conducive for what I want. Um, so I, I think levels of stress, uh, or, or what those stressors are, are dependent upon what we're doing. You know, at every level of the testing, even the hunting, there, there's some stress involved. Uh, you know, frustration can, can be an example of stress. How, yeah. you know, stressful to not find this item. Are you just going to quit? Um, uh, and then, you know, bite work, it, it, again, different variations. If I, if I know that it's a, a shepherd that's seen a ton of sleeve work and it's a pretty mature dog, um, I'm not going to have a sleeve and I'm not going to have a whip because mm-hmm. generally that's what these dogs are. That's their, yeah. their go-to things. And I'm, I'm, I want them to kind of want to engage me and, or engage me without those kind of cues for him. Um, so sorry my alarm went off um but uh in in closing here mike what what would you say would be your best piece of advice um for new trainers people that are trying to build a business similar to yours um and and get into the police dog handling word world excuse me um just uh, don't take no for an answer you know you're either- there's, there's going to be a ton of no's. And to me, I just look at that as like, it's a, a filter for an industry that's trying to protect itself. Um, and if, if you take a no for an, as that answer, then you're not supposed to be here. Like, so, you know, that, that's how it works. You, you keep going after it. And if you, you really want to get in and, and make, and also have good intentions, you know, like if, if your intentions are just to come in and to just to get TikTok videos or whatever it may be, then, you know, that's not it. Like be genuine in, in what you're here for, uh, you know, be genuine in wanting to help the other people that are, that are here and also keep an open mind. You know, I, I don't by any means think that I have, you know, 25% of the answers to dog training. <laughs> I've, right. I know that I have well less than that. And uh, I'm always trying to pick up more and, and, and figure out what those, you know, keep getting those aha moments that we talked about earlier. Amen. So, um, in closing here, why, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you at, where your, where your social, uh, media pages are, if they want to reach out to you, have any questions, want to host you for a seminar, how do people get in touch with you? Find out, find out. Yes. 
So you can reach us at grassrootsk9.com um, is a, a website and it's letter K number nine. Um, you can also find, follow me on social media, K9 underscore Mike. Um, we're also one more thing before we leave. I know you're in a rush, but we just started a, a, a not for profit in Canada uh, called End of Watch K9 Foundation. Um, and it's it's geared towards retiring police dogs um, that, you know, can't go and live with their handlers for, you know, whatever reasons, maybe they're a little bit too much of an asshole to do that. Um, or, or, you know, life isn't permitting of that. The dogs that are going to be safe to go into a home, you know, some single purpose dogs that are retired, we're going to try and place them. Um, but the ones that can't, they're going to kind of live here. Uh, we're setting up a, a little sanctuary area. They'll get to live out their lives here. So definitely be on the, uh, on the lookout for that. We haven't announced it officially yet. Uh, but it, it, it's been started and, and the wheels are rolling on that. Sounds amazing, man. Sounds absolutely amazing. Mike, thanks for your approach to everything, your humility, the way you approach uh, just police work in general. Uh, I've only seen police related stuff. I can't talk on the civilian side, but I'm sure you're the same guy there that you are. Why wouldn't you be right? Uh, but thank you for what you what you mean to the industry. Thanks uh, for being able to work with a lot of people. That's one of the things I admire about you. It's not just like a, a circle that you have. I've seen you expand that. And work with a lot of people. I really admire that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, you guys, again for hosting me out here, and thank you for what you guys do. I think it's important. Um, and you know, anything I can do uh, for either of you, you know, feel free to always reach out and let me know. Awesome, yeah. gentlemen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for your time. And uh, you guys take cool. care. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you both soon. Absolutely. All right, man. All right, brother. Later, brother. See you guys. tuning in to the Dogs of War.